And you don't question it. You, stop, you don't stop to think, is this good for me? How is this going to serve my purposes? You see the greater picture and you go. When Jesus is Lord, he's the boss. He is the one who possesses all authority, power, and control. He's the Lord of lords. He's sovereign. And how good it is for us to remember that today. As we look around the world and as we consider, as David prayed, and as we sang, to remember that the Lord is over all things. He has an unrivaled authority. He has power over the church, over all creation. Jesus has power and authority over the living and the dead. No one, no one, not even those who don't yet acknowledge him as Lord, are free from his reign and his rule as Lord. Even those who would deny his existence cannot be free from his reign or his authority. True freedom can only be found in submission to Jesus' loving lordship. So when we come to this text in Luke 7, in these first few verses, we, we, we meet this guy who is a centurion. He's a soldier, right? He gets authority. He gets what it is to live his life under authority. He's a, he's a foreigner. He's an outsider, and yet he understood this. He's a military man, and so he sends for help. Now, says in the, another track, describes him as a centurion, meant he would have been in command of about 100 or so men. Unlikely that he would have been in direct military, uh, in a, a sort of military capacity there, because there were no soldiers that were stationed in Capernaum at the time. But may, he may have been in service to um, Herod Antipas, who, who used non-Jewish soldiers. And so here is this guy who has heard about Jesus, who understands the authority that he holds, and so he sends people to, to him to say, can you come and help me? My servant is sick, but at your word, he can be healed. And so, and so the leaders go, and they find Jesus, and they say to him, he deserves this. He, he loves our people. He even built our meeting place. He's a, he's a good man. Right, so this is, this is someone who gives, he's generous, he's, he's probably been a major contributor to the construction work that was going on. But it's not for this that he should become the recipient of God's favor. This is, it's not by merit. And by his own admission, he sends another delegation to meet Jesus on the way who, as Jesus is approaching his home. And he says, you know, I'm not, he, he himself says, I'm not a good person, you know. Don't, don't, don't trouble yourself. He doesn't feel worthy. He doesn't feel worthy to go to Jesus himself or to have Jesus under his roof. This is not, this is not a, an idea of ritual uncleanness, but this is more of, of, a, of a deep feeling of unworthiness, something like uh, what John the Baptist would have felt when he met Jesus. He said, I'm not, I'm not worthy even to tie the, your sandals. This is that... I am standing before one of such authority. I am not worthy to come before you. And so he goes out just as Jesus, or he sends another delegation before Jesus gets to his house and says, no, 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 don't trouble yourself. I'm not that good a person. Please, you don't need to even come to my house. I'm, if, I, if, I'm, if you're not worthy to come into my house, I'm not worthy to meet you. But say the word, because if you are the Lord then that is enough. You're either Lord 
or you're not. And so what we have, this, this whole story actually foreshadows the mission to the Gentiles that we read of later in, and, and how important this story would have been to the, to the early church. In Acts 10, uh, we read about this, and we, we see that huge, sort of huge social and religious gap between Jews and Greeks in, in the first century with which the, the early church would have struggled. But here we have a picture of Jesus extending grace and mercy and going to an outsider, a foreigner, to help. And, and Luke is really keen that we, we get in this story, the, the, the strength of this man's faith. But unlike other accounts, other gospel accounts of this story, he, he's also, he majors on the humility of the man. But I'm, I'm not worthy uh, for you to come. But he says, I didn't presume to come to you, but, but say the word, say the word, and let my servant be healed. What, what tremendous humility, what tremendous faith. Where, where did this come from? Well, as I read this story, I was, I was really struck by how this guy manages to hold this posture of undeserving and yet unwavering faith. Undeserving, wretched, unworthy, but unwavering confidence and trust in the goodness of the Lord, of his mercy and of his grace. This is a picture of amazing grace. And, and as we read on, Jesus is surprised in, in Eugene Peterson's, he's taken aback. Jesus is surprised, and it's normally the other way around, right? Jesus is the one normally who surprises other people by what he says and does. But on this occasion, Jesus is surprised by the faith of this man. He says, I've, I've yet to come across this kind of simple trust anywhere in Israel. And Jesus isn't saying, yeah, what an amazing guy. He's done all these great works. What is he referring to? And what is it that, that Jesus values? This simple trust, there's a purity in this man's heart. And I've yet to come across it. And we see how this man, this outsider, is included in God's plans and purposes to bless the nations. And almost by the way, we find out in verse 10 that they went back and they found the servant up and well. That at Jesus' word, he has been healed. It's a simple trust, knowing and trusting. I've yet to come across this kind of simple trust anywhere in Israel where the very people who are supposed to know about God and how he works. See, for me, as I come to this text, and I think the challenge that it, that it throws to us is it's not so much about knowing or believing in Jesus' authority, but our willingness to live under it. Because we could say, yeah, Jesus is my Savior. He is my Redeemer. He is my helper. He's my friend. But Jesus is Lord. And I, and I don't question the authority or his right to that title. But at times I'm challenged with my ability to live my life wholly under his lordship. 
You see, I, I, I could tick the box of, of my Jesus, my friend. And we can tell the stories and we can recount the ways in which we have seen the Lord uh, walk with us and, and, and faithfully provide for us and care for us and, and his love and his care and his protection. And we can share our story of how God has saved us. But this question of lordship, I think, is a, is a cruncher. My Jesus, my friend, my Jesus, my savior, my Jesus, my Lord. I was reminded, I was thinking about um, when, we, when we lived in Brazil and um, occasionally we'd be you know, in situations or circumstances that we would have to pray for people who had uh, engaged or involved themselves in, in activities that, that really opened them up to all sorts of dark stuff and uh, spiritualist meetings and, and so on. So we would pray for these people and, they, and they, how they had submitted their lives to, to a spirit far inferior and yet felt somewhat powerless to, to be free from it. And yet the spirit of the living God, for those who confess and invite Jesus uh, into their lives as Lord, his spirit dwells within us. And yet how resistant we can become to that power that is above all powers and authorities and the name that is above all names. What does it mean for Jesus to be Lord of our lives? And how have I attempted to limit his lordship? What does it mean to have him as Lord? And, and for Jesus, how, how have I limited your lordship over, over my life? If you're the Lord over all of creation, are there ways, are there places that I'm holding back from you? We, we sang earlier, where you are, I am free. But I wonder if there are places that we're just not feeling and experiencing that freedom. And, and so I have to ask the question, uh, have we surrendered every part of who we are and every aspect of our lives to his lordship? And that might even include those people that we think are within his plans and purposes and those to whom God is working or, or go those to whom he's, he is sending us. If Jesus is Lord, then he's Lord of my home. He's the Lord over my marriage. He's the Lord over my family. He's the Lord over my work. He's the Lord over my neighborhood, my community, my, my network, whatever, whatever. Lord, have your way for all it's worth. Such simple faith that Jesus longs for and looks for, to believe and to trust in his lordship, even to those who in our minds might seem beyond his reach, or in our circumstances may be hopeless or helpless. But the centurion, unworthy yet unwavering, sent message to Jesus, say the word, just say the word, 
you will be healed. And this morning, that's my prayer for us. As we gather before the Lord, that we might, that we might encourage him, that we might ask him, Lord, say the word. Examine me again. Say the word that I may be healed and have your way with me. I'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to pray. I'm going to invite David and the band to come on up. And this faith that was held is a gift that is given. So let me pray now for us all. Father God, would you come by your spirit? And would you examine our hearts and our lives? Come Holy Spirit. And help us to see, Lord, um, that which we are holding back from you. Lord, as we've sung this morning, we choose to surrender all. And we pray, Lord, would you forgive us for that which we have taken back or held close. For where we have failed to trust you. for where we have looked to our own strength or even to our own failures and in some way limited uh, you, your power and your work in us and through us. So we pray, come Holy Spirit, fill us again. Come Holy Spirit. take all of us and we seek more of you Jesus I think for some of us it may be an opportunity to for the first time to, to put our lives beneath beneath the full lordship of Jesus his loving lordship and I want to encourage you to come forward uh, if you'd like to, uh, we have a team of people who would be willing to pray with you. 